Book nine, chapter three of Round the Block by John Balbuton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Justice goes to dinner. Wesley Tiffles was then examined. He commenced with an eloquent dissertation on the rights of man, and his own rights in particular, but stopped when he saw that the reporters tucked their pencils behind their ears and waited for facts. The moment he began to talk facts, which are to reporters what corn is to crows, down came the pencils from their perches again, and went tripping over the paper. Mr. Tiffle's testimony would have consumed two hours, or two days, perhaps, if he had been allowed to go on unchecked. But the coroner had been invited to dine at a Broadway restaurant with a few political friends at 3 p.m., so he concluded, after Tiffles had talked five minutes, that he knew nothing about the murder, and could throw no light on it, and told Tiffles that he was not wanted further. "'And you mean to tell me, sir, that I am not to be locked up in the station-house to-night?' said Tiffles. "'No, unless you're want to be.' "'Of course not, of course not.' but the interior Tiffles was disappointed at this sudden and unromantic termination of his case. A few more nights in the station-house, or in the tombs, would have given him capital material for a book, of which he had already projected the first chapter. He sat down and execrated his ill luck. Patching the artist was then interrogated, to the extent of two minutes, and corroborated Tiffles' testimony as to the sad and strange appearance of Mr. Wilkeson on the day after the supposed murder. Patching was then informed by the coroner that his further attendance at the inquest would not be required. Patching on rising had assumed the attitude of Paul before Felix, as set forth in some ancient cartoon and in that position of mingled innocence, dignity, and defiance, the artist of the illustrated paper got a spirited sketch of him. Had Patching dreamed how capitally his long hair, peaked beard, thin nose, and bony forehead would be taken off in a rough but faithful character portrait, he would have sunk in confusion. Happily the newspaper artist was sitting almost behind his more pretentious brother of the canvas, and the latter knew not what had been done, until, the following week, he saw a striking intensification of himself, staring into the street from numerous bulletin boards and shop windows. Before sitting down, Mr. Patching begged to explain to the jury and to the public through the reporters, who did not take down a word of the explanation, that he had painted the panorama of Africa to oblige his friend, Wesley Tiffles. It was hardly necessary for him to say, in this community, that he was more at home among higher walks of art. "'Are you a sign-painter, Mr. Patching?' asked the coroner. "'No, sir, I am not.' said Patching, with dignified contempt. Perhaps you're a carriage-painter, then. Them's the fellers for picturin'. The woman and flowers on the bully-boy's hose-carriage was well done, hey, Jack? That it was, Harry, returned the assistant foreman of the bully-boys. If Patching can do that sort of thing, he'll pass. 
Patching fixed looks of professional indignation on the coroner and the assistant foreman, and sat down gloomily amid the suppressed laughter of the irreverent reporters. The coroner then looked at his watch, and finding that the time was within half an hour of dinner, said that the inquest would be adjourned till the following morning at ten o'clock. "'But, Your Honor,' said Overtop, "'that is, if you will allow me to make a suggestion, "'couldn't you give us an hour longer? "'Nothing has yet been heard from Miss Minford, "'who, you said, was expected to be in attendance today. "'Will you be good enough to send to Mrs. Crowell's house for her?' "'Really, I can't wait,' replied the coroner. "'The young lady must be sick, "'or she would have been here before now.' but pardon me your honor we are anxious to have miss minford brought on the stand this afternoon believing that her testimony alone will acquit our client you believe so because you don't know what it is but as i said before it was on miss minford's statement that mr wilkinson there was rested and the best advice i can give him is to take a good night's rest and get his nerves ready for the young woman's testimony to-morrow, for it'll be a staggerer. The coroner consulted his watch again, with evident impatience, and rose from his seat. Overtop essayed to speak again, but the coroner interrupted him with, The inquest is adjourned till to-morrow, at ten o'clock. Mr. Policeman, you will take the prisoner back to the station-house. This speech was torture to Overtop and Maltboy, who, believing firmly in their friend's innocence, were convinced that a full investigation of the case that day would procure his acquittal. They turned eyes of exhaustless friendship and sympathy toward him. Marcus was in that half-comatose state which is the stupid reaction from an intense and painful excitation of the nerves. He was morbidly calm. The opinion of the coroner that Miss Minford's testimony would be a staggerer had no more effect on him than it would have had on the most phlegmatic reader of the case in next morning's paper. "'Then, Your Honor, we must ask you to take bail,' said Overtop. "'Can't take bail. Can't take anything but my dinner to-day. For the third time, I say, the inquest is adjourned.' The coroner hastily put on his spring overcoat. Overtop was tempted to make a fierce reply, but the legal discretion in which he was educated restrained him. The word had gone forth. The jurors rose, yawned, and grasped their hats. The reporters jammed their notes into their pockets and precipitately fled from the room. The policemen escorted Marcus Wilkeson and his counsel and tiffles and patching to the carriage which brought them and which still stood in front of the house an object of tragic interest to a large crowd of men women and children who had remained about the doorway during the inquest and could not be dispersed by the policeman which is he who's the murderer whispered twenty voices as the party emerged from the stairs upon the sidewalk that's him that chap with the big hat and long hair, you could pick him out of a million, said a shrewd observer. 
What ugly eyes he's got. They're sharp enough to stab ye, added a shop girl. I seen some pirates hung when I was a little gal, remarked an old woman, and they were pooty compared to him. The object of these and other remarks was the unhappy Patching, who had not yet got over his wrath at the coroner, and was scowling and compressing his lips very like a murderer. The policeman and his companions, all but the spellbound Marcus, could not help laughing at these ridiculous mistakes, but Patching turned upon the crowd and delivered among them one withering look of scorn which fully confirmed them in the belief that he was a murderer of the deepest dye, and when the carriage rolled away it was followed by a volley of groans, mixed with a few pebbles, handfuls of mud, and other missiles which happened to be lying around loose. "'Here, boys, don't act that way,' said the coroner, who had just made his appearance on the sidewalk. "'Let the poor devil go.' It's a case of murder, clear enough, and he won't slip through my hands easy, I can tell ye, if he is rich. The coroner spoke good-naturedly, for he saw several of his political adherents among the throng. That's the talk. Good boy. You're the feller for us, were some of the warm responses. The coroner smiled as he stopped to light a cigar from the pipe of a dirty admirer, and then, bowing obsequiously to the group, he stalked off in a rowdy way in the direction of his expected dinner. End of Book 9 Chapter 3